If you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up on our study on Galatians. So if I have my count right, we're up to about part number 13 of this. But we're going to be in Galatians chapter number 4 and verses number 8 through 31. We won't read all of that tonight just for sake of time, but um, it's going to be page 1245 in the Old Schofield Reference Bible. We'll kind of read through some of it as I comment on it, but tonight we find ourselves in the latter part of chapter number four, and it's really kind of a, probably a little bit lengthier portion of scripture that we're going to look at. We've kind of been going verse by verse, going through Galatians, but I'm going to ask you if you tonight, if you'll just listen on purpose, it may not be the most exciting thing you'll hear, maybe as far as entertainment goes, but the truth of the matter is we don't come to church for entertainment. And uh, But it really can help you if you get a hold of this truth. And many of you, uh, maybe this is, might be one of the last things you do for the day. Maybe you got up early, you went to work, and we're thankful for you're your here and everything. But I'm going to ask if you'll just focus in on the message, and uh, maybe we'll see what the Lord has for you tonight. I do want to thank you for being in God's house. And uh, really, this is a good crowd for a Wednesday night, right before all the kids go back to school and everything. I told you uh, several months ago, I went out west to a church and was there on a, and I know they run a good number on Sunday, but I was aghast. I was there on a Wednesday night and I mean, there probably wasn't 30, 40 people there. And that's a testimony to you guys and to your faithfulness and to your love for the Lord. So thank you for being in God's house. But as we have been saying all along with Galatians, as we've been kind of moving around chapter number three and four, it's a big pivot point in the letter that Paul is writing. And so if you'll recall, Paul is writing to the churches of Galatia, we said plural, so he's writing to an area, to a region, and he's kind of trying to address some doctrinal issues that has, have come up, and if you'll recall, the Judaizers have come into this area, and now they're kind of trying to pollute with the message that Paul has been preaching, and so the speech or this piece of writing that Paul is presenting is what they call a polemic a piece of writing. He's, he's really expressing a strong, critical attack, and he's going after this thing uh, that Paul has been preaching, that justification is by faith. The Judaizers were coming in and saying, oh, you have to keep the law. You have to do this. You have to, woo, you have to do that or do, do this to be saved. And so he was going against that and writing it, and he, he was not wanting these Galatians to be affected by these Judaizers. And so many believers in the Galatian churches, they were leaving the purity of the gospel by thinking that somehow they could improve on the finished work of Christ. And so we see in these two chapters, chapters number three and four, that this is some of Paul's strongest writings. There's about 60 different verses in these two chapters. And he was in a battle. The Judaizers were trying to capture the churches of Galatia. And he wasn't fighting just kind of half-hearted. I mean, he was all in. And so if I had to title the message tonight, I would say the title would be Positionally One Way, But Living Practically Another, or Practically Another Way. I've asked the men in the back to just put up this picture by way of introduction, and you might look at it and go, what in the world is that? But that's actually a picture, and it came out, and there's some video on it. You can Google it, and, um, and it happened about four years ago. There was a 22-year-old son, and his name was Akaj, and he drove his brand-new BMW 
into a river because he was upset at his father. You say, well, what was he upset about? Well, it was actually reported that for his birthday, he wanted a Jaguar, and instead his dad bought him a brand new BMW, and so he was rather upset about it. And he just, as a, a, to spite his dad, he kind of in a tantrum, you can imagine, he drove his brand new BMW into the river, into the what's called the Western Yamuna Canal. You say, where is that at? That's actually over in India. And this drew all kinds of attention and comments around the world, especially from social media. Comments were quite interesting, and some of them were really quite ruthless. Some were blaming the parents. Some were saying, you know, what you really need to do is just put that boy in the BMW and then drive it into the river. And uh, maybe some of you might feel like that. I might have been tempted to do something like that. But there was all kinds of things being said. And as I thought about it, I thought, is this story really real? So I I, I Googled it to just kind of see what else was out there about it. And to the best of my knowledge, it's a true story. There was morning TV talk shows that did stories on it, different things like that. But the crux of the matter is this man was upset about the gift from his father. Now, one has to ask themselves the question, how can somebody receive such an extravagant, such a great gift but turn it away and not claim it as their father's gift or claim it as their father's inheritance. You know, you might ask, who in their right mind would do such a thing? You know, I can remember my first car was a 1982 Honda Civic wagon. It wasn't no B brand new BMW, I know that. But except, you know, the only person I could think of that might do something like that was maybe a spoiled brat. You know, somebody that just, man, they were handed everything and, and handed it with a silver spoon in their mouth and, and ungrateful for their father's love and his gift. But as we've studied the book of Galatians and now we come to chapter 4, that's really what the Apostle Paul is addressing here. Last week we looked at the fact that we were adopted into God's family and everything that Christ has, we are joint heirs with him. But, and we can lay claim to that, but we have seen that some of these Christians at Galatia, they've kind of done this exact same thing. They had rejected the gift of the Father to them, and what you say, well, how did they do that? Well, what they wanted to do is they wanted to go out and try to add works to their salvation. God's saying, hey, I'm giving you this gift, and they want to go out and just say, well, that's really not good enough. I'm going to go ahead and do it my own way, and I'm going to try to add works to salvation. And so, in essence, they had turned away or they rejected the gift from their Heavenly Father. They didn't drive the BMW into the river, but they had rejected what God wanted them to do or to have in the Lord. Now, Akaj, who received the gift from his father, now he ends up having to walk. He doesn't have a ride. He doesn't have a, a way to get around or anything. And how many of you, if you had done that as a child, boy, you wouldn't have been worried about walking. You would have been worried about how am I going to sit down for the next few months, you know, because probably daddy bear or mama bear would have blistered your back end. Can I get an amen right there? And, uh, but Paul reminds us we have been given a gift by the Father. God wants us to live as his children, as sons and daughters of the king. But so many times, and what happened in this book of Galatians, they went back and they began living like servants. They began living like slaves. That's what happened these churches. I mean, these, these Christians, they were saved by the grace of God. They were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And somewhere they had been deceived. They had been manipulated. They were living as sons. Uh, they were living as sons and daughters who rejected that truth. Now they were in the lifestyle of servitude. They put themselves back 
into that bondage. So the theme really has been repeated numerous times through the book of Galatians. And real quickly, I want to give you just three quick things that Paul kind of makes a point, and he's trying to steer the Galatians to get back to thinking about how they're really supposed to live. That He wanted to steer their minds and say, hey, Galatians, realize you are sons, you're not a slave. And so he gives us three different things you'll see in the scripture here in verses number 8 through 31. Number one, I'd like to point out the fact that we see Paul's aggravation toward the Galatians. Paul's aggravated that they who are sons of the king have turned back and are living as slaves. Look at verse number 8 in, in Galatians chapter number 4. It says, How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, uh, are rather known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. He said, you're turning back. You're turning back to those weak things. You're turning back to those beggarly elements. He went back to those things under the law and they put themselves in bondage again. You think, why would they try to do that? Well, these false teachers had crept in and taught them, hey, now you have to add works. And they, they put themselves in bondage. They were made free. They were set free. Verse 10, look at what it says. It says, ye observe days and months, and times, and years. He says, hey, you're all wrapped up into observing the days. You're all wrapped up into observing the months, and the times, and the years, and the, the holy days, and the, the festivals, and the circumcision, and the ceremonial law. What he's saying, he says, you've turned from the grace of God. And I want to encourage you and encourage myself, let's never turn from the grace of God, the grace that keeps us and entitles us to an inheritance. Hey, child of God tonight, we have an inheritance. Like I said last week, we have been adopted. We don't have to turn away from that. Look what he says in verse number 11, Paul speaking. He says, I am afraid of you. That doesn't mean like he was frightful. That word afraid there means to be alarmed. He said, I'm alarmed. I'm, I, I, I'm concerned. Lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. What he's saying, he says, I'm so concerned. I've left for just a little bit of time, and I'm, I'm concerned that my labor and my, my work for you has just been in vain, that it's all come to naught. He's not saying that they lost their salvation. He's not saying that they're reprobates, but that's really a sobering verse. And I'd make the application tonight, may our spiritual leaders never be able to say that of us. May our spiritual leaders never be able to say to the children in here, or maybe to the teenagers, may our parents never be able to say, hey, I worry that my labor for you was in vain. I, I worry that my prayers and that my teaching and that my admonishment was in vain. Uh, maybe we can make the application towards teenagers tonight. And, and may it never be said that our, our youth director or our pastor would be able to say, boy, I worry that my labor was in vain towards you. And we have people that love us. How about church members? May our pastor never be able to say, I worry that my labor was in vain. I think most people that serve the Lord and try to invest in people from time to time, they have that thought. Maybe those of you that work in a Sunday school class and you see somebody stop coming, you think, boy, was my labor in vain? Can I remind us as ministry folks and people that are trying to serve the Lord, let's not have our eyes on people. Let's have it on the Lord. And I can be just as guilty as the next person to get my eyes 
on people. What's the Bible say in Hebrews? We're to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Boy, just keep your eyes straight on Christ. But Paul's saying, I worry that my labor has been in vain. Paul was concerned that the fruit of these Christians in Galatians, in Galatia would be works manifested. Just a man-made effort to save yourself. What they wanted to do was they wanted to forget about the yoke of the law. They forgot all about that bondage that they used to be in and how they had to keep the law. And aren't you glad that we as Christians nowadays, we're not bound under that law? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't have to go up to an altar and sacrifice anything. Uh, you know, the one time that I actually had to, had to kill a chicken, we ended up eating it. I was just grossed out the whole time, you know. You cut the head off and it's still flapping around and everything. I'm like, I'd much rather just go to Walmart and buy a package of chicken breast. I don't know how you are. But I'm glad I'm not under the bondage of having to do that. And you, you read through Leviticus and all that. Boy, it was a messy scene to do all that and make sure that the, the animal was right and, and spotless and all that kind of stuff. Man, fooey on that. I'm just glad I'm under grace and not law. But under the law and the ceremonial law and all the rituals, they weren't saved through that. In essence, they were making Christ as if he wasn't sufficient. Can I say tonight that Christ is sufficient? I mean, He's all we need for salvation. There's nothing more that needs to be added. Then you look down, He's aggravated with them. Look down at verse number 12 through 16. He says, Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. Ye have not injured me at all. And then he goes on to say, like he's almost having a little fireside chat with them. He's saying, ye know how through infirmity of the flesh... So there was something wrong with Paul. Maybe he was sick during this time. Maybe he had his thorn in the flesh during this time. But he says, you know that through infirmity of the flesh, I preached the gospel unto you at the first. And my temptation, which was in my flesh, ye despised not. He said, I came to you, I was, I was sick, I was afflicted, but you didn't despise that. He said, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He says, hey, uh, they were, these, these Galatians, they were saved as a result of the gospel that the Apostle Paul went to Galatia. He preached the gospel. He saw them grow in the grace of God. Undoubtedly, he saw them baptized. Undoubtedly, he discipled them. But he begins to use a different tone in this passage. It's almost like he was a grieved father. Or maybe a, a heartbroken mother. And it's like he's crying out and he's saying, why have you forgotten my investment in you. And he says in verse 14, he says, you received me like an angel. I don't think he sat there smiling and just happy about that. I think he was grieved in his heart and in his soul and he's thinking, why have you forgotten my investment in you? I mean, when I first came to you, you received me like an angel. And then he goes on to say, even as Christ Jesus he says, you not only received me like an angel, but you, you received me like I was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul's not saying that he was Jesus Christ, but he's saying you received me as if I were the Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds like those people were very warm towards the Apostle Paul. And then he says in verse 15, and some believe that the thorn in the flesh was bad eyesight. There's some debate about that. But uh, he says in verse 15, he says, where is then that blessedness ye spake of? For I bear you record... Uh, uh, that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes 
and have given them to me. He's saying, I think you loved me so much. And let's say the infirmity was his eyesight. Some people think it was. Let's say it was. He's saying, hey, you guys knew I had bad eyesight. You lo- I think you loved me so much that you would have been tempted to pluck out your own eyes and give them to me. Boy, that's some love there. And now he's discouraged. He's aggravated. He's thinking, boy, you loved me so much. And I left for just a little bit of time. And now these Judaizers, they've crept in, and now their view of Paul had changed. And he's, he's thinking, what is going on? He's aggravated at them. Look down at verse 16. Boy, what a, what a sad verse. He says, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And I'd venture to say that this is a verse that probably uh, pastors and evangelists could identify with quite easily. You know, there's a spiritual contention going on, and he's aggravated towards the Galatians. And he says, am I become your enemy? I wonder how many times a pastor has gotten up, or maybe an evangelist, and they get up, and they they thunder out the Word of God as the Bible teaches them to. The Bible says reprove, rebuke, exhort, and they do that very thing. And then they head up the road, and maybe somebody calls them up and chews them out, or comes to their office the next day and chews them out, and they're probably thinking, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Hey, let's let's take the word of God. Hey, let's not get mad at the messenger. He's just declaring the word of God. And so he says, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They turned away from the belief that salvation, we've said it all along in this series, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. They were getting away from that. It's only Christ that can save us. It's not the flesh, it's not good works, it's not rites, it's not rituals, it's not ceremonial law. It's the fact that Christ paid our sin debt. He paid it all. I love that song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Hey, can I remind you tonight, remind myself, God doesn't need any help when it comes to providing salvation. Yes, we are to witness, and I understand the biblical mandate that we're all supposed to share the gospel, but as far as providing salvation, he's got that all covered. He'll take care of it. He saves us. He seals us. He secures us. He sanctifies us. And Paul says, hey, you look at me as though I'm the enemy because I tell you the truth. You know, unfortunately, nowadays, in a lot of our churches, and not at Woodland Baptist Church, but in a lot of churches, many people, they only only want to hear what they want to hear. You know, if you'll do that as a preacher or as a messenger of the gospel, you'll stay in pretty good standing with most most people. But look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 3. It says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Boy, if that's not the age we're living in today, so many, boy, you, you preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, and people run like termites when you turn on the light or something. I mean, they're gone. And I don't know if termites do that. Maybe bugs or something. But, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Boy, they just want to have their, their ears tickled. Hey, they want to come to church on Sunday morning. They don't want to be back Sunday night or Wednesday. They just want to have their ears tickled. Oh, preacher, just, just share the good news. And there is good news. But there's sometimes we need to be rebuked. There's sometimes we need to be reproved. And yes, there is sometimes we need to be, to, to be exhorted. But you know what? Uh, the rub is what brings out the shine. You know, the truth is, if there's never any rebuke, if there's never any reproof in our life, there's not going to be any true growth. 
There's no true move towards holiness and purity as, as Brother Placido, our Spanish pastor, preached on Sunday night. If there's none of that, how are we going to move towards holiness? How are we going to move towards purity if there's no, you know, what I can call the rub bringing out the shine? I don't know if you've ever sh- polished your shoes, man, or maybe ladies might have some fancy dress shoes. Boy, you have to pl- apply that friction towards that. You have to move it, move it all, all around, and the rub is what brings out the shine. Here at the Christian school, I have a part in the soccer team, and, and our job is, you know, obviously to train the athletes, try to get them ready for soccer and everything. But soccer is a grueling sport, and so the first week or two of practice, what we try to do is we just want them to run, and we want them to run, we want them to do a drill, and go back to running some more. Why? Because we have to build up that stamina. It have to, we have to build that endurance. It doesn't feel good but it's for their good. I told the kids the other day, I said, you know, we don't want to give up fatigue goals is what I said. You know what that is? That's just a goal that you just gave up because you flat out got tired. And in our Christian life, hey, we don't want to give up things to the devil just because maybe we we didn't have the rub bring out in us the shine. Paul is willing. He says, hey, I'm willing to stick my neck out on the line for you. I'm willing to fall out of good graces with you that I might be in good graces with God. That's what he's saying. He's aggravated towards the Galatians. Number two, we want to look at Paul's aim with the Galatians. What's Paul's aim? He's, we know he's aggravated with them. We know he's thinking, am I become your enemy? But what's his, what's his aim with the Galatians? Well, look at verses number 17 through 20. He says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. He says, it's okay to be zealous, but be zealous in a good thing. And then he says, and not only when I am present with you. Do you get the drift? He's thinking, boy, I left and you just wandered away. Hey, that's, that should be an encouragement to us. Let's be faithful no matter who's watching us. Let's love God whether our parents are there, whether our spouse is there, whether a spiritual leader is there. Let's just love God. Let's, and so what's his aim? Even in their backslidden condition, Paul still has a desire to help them. Even though they messed up, Paul says, I'm not willing to give up. He wants Christ to be formed in them. Look at verse number 19. He says, my little children, boy, like a father. You get that tone there, like a father, like a mother. He says, my little children of whom I travail in birth again. Now, Paul was a male. What does he know about birth? But he's saying, I travail like a mother does in birth, meaning I labor meaning I'm working hard and and I'm in pain about this. He says, I travail in birth again. And then what's his goal? Until Christ. He didn't say until I be formed in you. He says, I want Christ to be formed in you. Hey, everything we do should try to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. As parents, let's point our children to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Sunday school teachers, let's point our children, our our pupils, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's point them to God Himself. And He says, until Christ be formed in you. He has a burden to defend them against these religious zealots. He's travailing like a woman giving birth. He he labors. He's travailing over his children in the faith. He wants them to be more like Christ. Paul's saying, hey, I'm not willing to turn my back on you. Can I say tonight that seeing people grow in Christ, or if you will, this thing of discipleship, 
it's a messy journey. It can get messy. It can be a difficult journey. It can be a hard journey. You know, the truth of the matter is conflicts will pop up. But you know what? Paul didn't just write them off. He didn't just say, you know, when these kind of things pop up, I know they messed up. I know they're getting mixed up doctrinally, but I'm just going to write them off. You know, let's, let's just be honest tonight. If we're not careful, and I said we, we have a tendency to just write people off. Just cast them aside. You've probably heard it said before that the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded. I'm not talking about someone purposely, maliciously bringing in false doctrine. We know the Bible says, look what the Bible says in Jude 3, how that, he says, the middle part there, and he says, and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. But you know what? Sometimes we fellowship with a brother, we fellowship with a brother, we fellowship with a brother, they do one thing wrong, and then we just X them off our list. We just say, boy, we're done with them. We don't allow them to fellowship with us. We want nothing to do with them. In fact, we'll even go so far as we'll just start gossiping about them. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? That wasn't Paul's spirit. Yes, he was aggravated with them. Yes, they got mixed up. Yes, they got messed up. But he said, I'm not willing to just throw you to the side. He says, boy, I can see the good in you, and I can see that you can still be profitable for Christ. Look what the Bible says. Flip over to Galatians 6. Just a couple chapters over. Here's the spirit of Paul. Look what he says in chapter 6 and verse number 1. He says, brethren. So he's speaking to other Christians. He says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are, what's that next word? Spiritual. That puts the responsibility on us if we're spiritual. He says, you which are spiritual, restore such a one. How, we, how are we supposed to do it? In the spirit of of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And he says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Boy, I think some of the contention, I think some of the, the fighting that can go on in our churches across America is all because of what Paul's saying there. You think you're something, but in reality, all of us are nothing. What's the old saying? We're a zero with the rim knocked out. That's all we are. We're just sinners saved by grace. Our tendency is to write people off and to devour them and to chew them up and just spit them out. Hey, but if you look at the life of Christ, he was all about mercy. We preached months ago about the, the lady caught in adultery and the, and the doors of the church swing open wide and they bring the adulterer before the Lord. And what's he going to do? He just gets down, writes in the dirt, and he says, you that are with, without sin, cast the first stone. What do they do? They all drop their rocks and head out the door. Jesus was showing mercy. Hey, and then we're told to be like Christ. Let's show mercy towards others. I'm not speaking about condoning sin, but let's pray for people. Let's love them. Let's encourage them. Discipleship is a messy thing. Those of you who have children, maybe you've got a five-year-old or a ten-year-old or even, even an adult, you know what children do of all ages? They do the same thing that us adults do. They make messes. You, they, I mean, you're talking about the time they're born. You got diapers. You got crayons. 
You got Legos. For some reason, you hand a kid a marker and they think the wall is a one giant canvas, you know. And before you know it, you get home and you go, what has happened? But they make messes. They make messes with Legos and baking. Have you ever had a child go in the kitchen and try to bake something? And it looks like a bomb went off and there's flour everywhere, sugar scattered all over the place. They make messes. But you know what? Us adults, we make messes. We make messes with finances, with friends, with relationships, with sin. Boy, we make messes. I'm not, I don't try to discourage young couples, and not that I'm an experienced couple or anything like that, but I try to keep it real when I'm talking with maybe a young couple that's expecting their first child. And uh, by way of a story, about 14 years ago, my wife and I came up expecting. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to have children or not. And uh, I had a good Christian co-worker lady that worked down in South Carolina. She was probably in her late 50s, early 60s. I was around 30, and she was a nice lady. I had to talk to her every once in a while about purchasing and software and different things like that and everything. And so somehow she got word that we were expecting. And so she called up one day to talk about something uh, business related. And then she said, hey, congratulations. I heard you guys are expecting. I said, yes. And she told me this statement. I've probably told it to numerous couples in here, but I have never forgot it. And, uh, and sometimes I don't, I don't understand the value of it all or all the, the bearing of it, but she said, congratulations, Mark. You just signed up for the hardest job of your life, but you also just signed up for the most rewarding job of your life. And you know the truth of the matter is truer words were never spoken. It's hard. It's messy. Uh, about eight or nine years ago, I, think, I can think of numerous stories. I won't tell a lot of them because I don't want to embarrass my kids, but I can remember one in particular. We had a treadmill. And you know, by the way, treadmills make great clothes hangers. I'm telling you. I mean, they are great for that. So we had one in our living room, and I probably used it 10 times, and then it became a clothes hanger, you know. But for some reason, one of my kids, I won't mention any names, Mason, um, but he grabbed some sidewalk chalk. Now, the treadmill's in the house, and he decided, let's go ahead and just put the sidewalk chalk up against the treadmill and just use it as a belt sander. And so we had sidewalk chalk all over our treadmill belt. It was just a complete mess. If you go to our treadmill even to today, because it's never used, that sidewalk chalk is still there. Uh, but what, what am I saying? Kids make a mess, you know. But what do we do with our children when they make a mess? We don't throw them out. We don't trade them out. We don't go down the street and say, hey, Johnny, hey, I got two kids that make a mess. Can I have your kids? We don't swap them out. We nurture them. We try to help them. Then they get to be teenagers, and then there's a different kind of mess. They get to be adults, and there's a different kind of mess. We don't trade them out. We nurture them. We try to help them. Hey, can I remind Woodland Baptist Church in the church, may we remember sometimes people work gets messy there might be bumps in the road, but we're to nurture one another. What's the Bible saying, Galatians 6 1? We're supposed to restore one another. Hey, you that are spiritual, go and restore somebody else. You see a brother or sister, maybe they've done something. Don't go and broadcast it. Don't go and talk about it to another brother or sister. Go to them. Hey, can, I see you're struggling with this, or, or, you know, talk to them. A good rule of thumb before throwing the rocks and devouring them, think. That could be your child next. That could be your adult child that uh, has fallen or me messed up. Don't look for another bunch. Hey, they're going to be just as messy as the first bunch. You say, well, I've got this issue with the church, and I'm going to head up the road. Can I tell you? It's going to be the same way up there. 
you give it enough time, what I call the, the honeymoon period is going to wear off. You're going to see the people there are just like the people here. We're all humans. We're all, we all have issues. We all have things we struggle with. This is what Christianity is all about. It's messed up people. This is Mark theology. Messed up people trying to be like the Lord Jesus Christ through sanctification. That's what it boils down to. Paul, I'm sure he's frustrated. He's aggravated. Look, if you were to go back to chapter 1 and verse 6, he says, I marvel how soon you're removed. He says in chapter 3 and verse 1, he calls them foolish. Boy, that's a strong word. He says the same verse. He says, you're bewitched. Same verse. He says, you're disobedient. Next verse, he said, you're so foolish. But despite these people being manipulated and despite them being deceived, you know, that's what the devil likes to do. He likes to deceive people. But Paul doesn't say, hey, I'm, I'm writing you off. I'm done with you. But what does he say? He said, instead says, as their father in the faith, he says, I travail in my spirit. He said, I'm concerned for you. Hey, can I ask you tonight? Can I ask myself tonight? In your heart of hearts, who do you travail over? Is there a fellow brother or sister that's wayward and you have them on your mind, you're concerned for them? I'm not talking about going down to, uh, to Stratford Barbecue and gossiping about them, but I'm talking about do you have a concern for them? You pray for them and you maybe make a visit to them or you, have them, uh, uh, you invite them over for coffee or you take them out to a meal or you shoot them a text. Paul's aggravated with them. His, his aim with them is to restore them. And then lastly, number three, we're going to look at his allegory to the Galatians. This is just, he, he closes in chapter 4 and in verses number 21 through 31. He basically starts off into a story about Abraham and, and uh, Sarah and Hagar. And it's a story with a meaning. He's speaking to these Galatians. He says, he says you want to live like the son of Abraham, but you're picking the wrong son. Paul's trying to illustrate what it means to be a son and not a servant. He mentions two mothers. He mentions two sons. He mentions two mountains. He mentions two cities, two covenants, and two ways of life. And so if you'll recall the story of Abraham and Sarah, there was Abraham and there was Sarah. God came to Abraham and said, hey, I'm going to make your seed great. I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to do all this for you. It's called the Abrahamic covenant in, in uh, Genesis chapter number 12. But but then Sarah, she was barren. She wasn't able to have any children for quite a while. She had a handmaid. You all know the story. Hagar had a child by Abraham named Ishmael. And, she, and that child was born of the bondwoman. That was Hagar. She was the servant there. And uh, Isaac was eventually born. He was the son of Sarah, born of the free woman. So Paul's kind of laying this little story out and trying to make a point. Ishmael was the result of Sarah in the flesh trying to manipulate the situation, manipulate the system, and trying to get the inheritance promised by God. She said, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this happen. You ever been guilty of that? Try to take matters into your own hands and not, not let God work it out? But Sarah was barren. She wanted her husband to receive the promise. She probably had good intentions, but she did it the fleshly way. She did it the worldly way. She took matters into her own hands. She worked things out her own way. Abraham goes into Hagar and she bears a son, Ishmael, and that's the son born to the bondwoman. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't even God's promise. God had promised a child through Sarah, and in her flesh she tried to work it out herself. Eventually Sarah had a, name, a son named Isaac. 
That was the seed of promise. Abraham eventually had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob eventually became the father of, of, of uh, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was formed. And if you know your Bible, through that lineage, the Lord Jesus Christ came. All because God worked everything out in His timing. Hey, can I remind you tonight? It'll all work out in God's timing. You may not see the results you want down here, but either this lifetime or the next lifetime, it'll be okay in heaven. Like Brother Bob saying, hey, where the roses never fade. But through that son, the inheritance came. You said, Brother Mark, what's all that mean to me? Well, Paul's giving an allegory to the Galatians, and he's saying, hey, you're claiming to be a son of Abraham. He says, Abraham had two sons. One was after the flesh. One was after the, after the spirit. One was after the attempts of man. One was the promise of God. One was born in bondage. One was born in freedom. He says, you think you're a son, and you're going under the law. In reality, you're not a son you're a slave. So he's getting after him. He said, you think you're doing, going about it the right way, but he said, you're doing nothing but going about it the wrong way. Look at verse 31 and we'll close. Verse 31. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman. He said, hey, hey, Galatians, don't go back. Don't try to go back into servitude. He says, we are, the, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the, the, the free he says, you don't have to live as a slave. You don't have to live as a servant under the bondage of the law. Hey, can I encourage you and encourage myself tonight? Your permanent relationship with God is not based on you trying and trying. A servant bases his relationship on his ability to please his master. Boy, it's all just up and down, trying to please him. You're, not, you're good enough one minute, you're not good enough the next minute. That's what these Galatians had fallen into. But a son, a son simply trusts in his relationship with God as his father. Hey, each and every one of you, if you're a child of God tonight, you don't have to try to become God's son. You are God's son. You have been adopted. You can't ever sever that relationship. We believe in eternal security. We believe that even though those Galatians were fooled, they were bewitched, they were deceived, and he's saying, hey, you're not under bondage to the law as a child of God. He's saying, Galatians, you are free. Hey, as we close tonight, can I ask you, how many of you are glad that you are free? I mean, free. Now, and I understand the liberals have hijacked that term. They want to claim that, hey, you're free. Just go out and live the way you want to do. If you want to drink, do this. If you want to still party it up as a Christian, if you want to you know, go to the rock concerts, do all that. I understand the liberals have hijacked that, but we don't have to fly to the other end and say, oh, we're not free. Hey, we are free. We're not free to live as we want. We know what the truth of that matter is. We're not under the law, but because of all that Christ has done, and can I remind you tonight, He's done a lot for us. He gave His Son that we might have eternal life. Sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hey, we're free. But you know what? We should want to live for Him because of the fact that I'm free. Hey, God 
and his son, they set me free. I should desire to want to live for him. I should desire to be just like him. What's the old songwriter say? More like the master I would want to be. Boy, that's, that should be our desire, to be more like the master, to be holy because he is holy. That should be our desire. So we see Paul's aggravation towards the Galatians. We see his aim with the Galatians, but we see his allegory to the Galatians that, that son that I talked about in the beginning, Akaj, he turned away his father's gift. He turned away the inheritance all because he said, I'm going to reject that gift. I'm going to look at it as if it's not good enough. He didn't enjoy what the father had for him. Because of it, he walked for a while, I'm sure. He didn't have a ride. And I'm, I'm afraid too many of us Christians, sometimes we can be positionally one way, that we can live practically in another. We can live under bondage. I don't know how many of you ever listened to Dave Ramsey. He's a finance guru and all that. And sometimes he'll welcome people into his studio and he interviews them and they call it, they interview him and they ask how you got out of debt, you know, you sold this, you made, they made this much as an extra job and on and on it goes. But at the end of it, they do what they call the debt-free scream. And what, are they, what do they all yell out? I mean, real loud as can be, freedom! Can I tell you tonight, we as Christians, when we get saved, when we get born again, on a Sunday morning, when somebody comes down and walks down the aisle, you know what they can turn around and yell? Freedom! Why? Because that new spirit lives inside of them. The Holy Spirit lives inside of them. Hey, we are a new creature. We should live for Him. Why? Because, hey, we've been set free. We have been adopted as a son, we see his aggravation, we see his aim, and then his allegory to the Galatians. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's all stand to our feet.